Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross. For 80 years, Capital Blue Cross has offered products that provide peace of mind and promote good health. Focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Health and Wellness Centers that provide in-person service and inspire healthy living. Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross. Live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, bringing quality care to your community through Harrisburg, Community Osteopathic, West Shore, Carlisle, Hanover, Lancaster, Lidditz, and Memorial Hospitals. More information is available at upmcpinnacle.com. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. The number of employers offering high-deductible health care plans has nearly doubled since 2012, from 13 to 25 percent. Individual health savings accounts were introduced, hoping consumers would be encouraged to shop around for the best price for their health care. What researchers have learned is that few Americans actually do shop for the best price health care plan. Why? And what barriers are there to shopping around? Joining us today is Brett Schultes, who is WITS Transforming Health reporter. Brett, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, Scott. Now, I want to ask our listeners, this is one where I'd like you to weigh in. Have you ever attempted to shop around, or maybe you do shop around for the best prices in health care? Uh, what barriers have you found? What challenges? Or are there success stories? Have you been able to find uh, less expensive plans or less expensive procedures that are offered by someone else? We'd like to hear your story. 1-800-729-7532 or send an email to smarttalk at org. Brett, first of all, I want to welcome you to WITF. Brett, uh, is this is very first time appearing on Smart Talk as our transforming health reporter, your former reporter with the uh, York Daily Record. So welcome to Smart Talk and welcome to WITF. And this is a great story to kind of begin reporting for transforming health because it was something that uh, we know doesn't happen in America very often. So Talk about how you kind of got onto this story. I think you're right. It really is a great story to start out the uh, transforming health reporting for me because it's. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to continue to explore what this is. You know, it's funny because earlier this week you had people on talking about a single payer, and while that may be, uh, that really shows the two narratives that we have. I think um, when it comes to healthcare, some people see it one way, and the reality is, for many people right now, high deductible and health savings accounts is the reality. And uh, so we'll be we'll be we'll have a lot of opportunities to continue exploring this avenue of it. Uh, really, for me, I I is as simple as I was contacted by Bucknell uh, Institute for Public Policy. And whenever I saw the study results, I feel like that uh, really spoke to a lot of the sort of frustrations I heard or concerns from some people who were trying to do, uh, trying to shop around, but who were struggling to actually get the answers they wanted to, uh, they needed to hear. Well, who did you talk to at, uh, at Bucknell? I spoke with Amy Wolliver, and she is a professor and a researcher who has also, she really focuses on the economics of healthcare, and so she's done a lot of studies related to uh, pricing and and things of that nature. So she's the one that really put the study together. Well, you know, this kind of uh, answers all our questions here with uh, with Amy's. Uh, you, you have a soundbite here when when you did talk to Amy. Let's listen to what she has to say. So the takeaway of the study is that um, you know it's very difficult to shop around for prices in healthcare, um, and even those very few people try. And of those who do try, um, they have, you know, difficulty in finding information. Okay, so the reasons why, that, uh, that's, that's the big question here. Uh, let's face it, health care is not like other retail products. You go to the grocery store, you shop for a car. Uh, whatever product you want to buy out there, a lot of us are looking for quality, but at the same time, we're looking for quality at the best price. But healthcare, we don't do that. Why? I think it's worth pointing out, first of all, that in the study, some of that data was broken down based on type of service. And I, I completely agree with what you just said there, particularly if you're going to the hospital, chances are you're not calling around for the best deal. 
and that was really the area where we saw the lowest uh frequency of respondents, um, you know, trying to shop around for prices. The thing is, even for services uh, such as outpatient imaging, testing, uh, or uh, surgeries, things of that nature that are a little bit more planned out, uh, there was still, uh, I think it was only in the ballpark of 35% uh, of respondents to the poll were saying they were doing that. And, you know, you asked why, and, and I don't I don't fully know the answer why yet, but I, I having spoken to uh, some people who responded to my earlier story, you know, I feel like you're right. People don't shop in the same way as they do because they're not necessarily ever looking for a bargain at the sacrifice of quality. They're looking for the highest quality because unlike shopping for a TV or a phone or a car, um, well, maybe a car, your life's really on the line when it comes to shopping for healthcare services. Now, you just mentioned uh, some of the procedures, you know, and going to the hospital. I mean, yeah, we can you can see that uh, if you're going to the hospital, it's an emergency. You're in an ambulance or, you know, someone's rushing you to the hospital. You're in the emergency room, something like that, that most people probably are not thinking about price at that time. Their health is uh, their number one priority. And even if you were. I mean, you're in an ambulance, you're on the way to the, the hospital. Who is going to say, hey, hold on, I know you're in pain, but let's check to make sure this hospital, uh, that the prices offered at this hospital are a little less expensive, or maybe there is a, a place that is less expensive <laughs> than the hospital we're going to. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, but it's important that we look at it because it is really one of the premises of uh, the notion of uh, moving to high deductible plans with health savings accounts. Uh, that uh, and I could I could bomb you with a bunch of quotes, but I won't do that. A number of law lawmakers have really pushed this, saying this is a way to put the control in in healthcare consumers' hands. And if we put a little bit of their own money at stake, then they're going to really help to drive down prices by shopping around. And I think it's a, a fascinating concept, and it's still a relatively new one. You know, health savings accounts themselves have really only been around since 2003, uh, but really have gained popularity in in recent years. So, looking at that, it makes me it makes me wonder: Are we going to start to see? Uh, more transparency or more upfront cost estimates from healthcare providers if people are actually doing that? Or is this all just, you know, something that sounds great, but in reality, something that few people feel comfortable doing? And, th and that's really why I say this story was like, just like, to me, like a tip of an iceberg that we can continue to explore. All right. Well, the, the other big question <clears throat> is how? How do you actually shop for health care? Because it's not like uh, most places, and I, when I say most, I mean there are very few. I know this happens in some other states and some other countries where you can actually find the prices of what a procedure costs or what a visit to a, a doctor, a particular doctor costs. So how do you shop around? I would re really like to hear from... Uh, listeners on that one, because uh, truth be told, I haven't had to shop around for a lot of uh, costs myself or for services myself. Now, I did check in with uh, some of the regional health care providers here, and uh, a number of them did provide certain resources available. I know um, uh, some had online portals uh, where you could do cost estimates. Uh, others had a number you could call and get an estimate. Now, it is important to note those are estimates, and it's you know, not exactly the same thing as looking on a menu and seeing that you're going to be charged $10 for a hamburger and fries and, and then getting the bill. You know, this would be more like, well, we, we're pretty sure this is what it's going to cost. But, you know, if we charge you 15 bucks, don't don't talk to us about it. <laughs> you know, I mentioned that there are some places, um, other states and uh, other countries. I, I, I can't remember which country it is in particular, but that's part of the law is that uh, that healthcare providers would have to provide a list of their prices, a menu of their prices. Does that happen in other states across the country, or does it even happen here in Pennsylvania, where you could actually, as a consumer, find what, out what something cost? There are states that have required uh, pricing ahead of services. And uh, unfortunately, off the top of my head, I don't remember which, which states they are, but just in my kind of research for this, I did see that that was the case. Um, 
I can only imagine that it will relate to uh, demand. And uh, if if people aren't asking it for for those prices, and I don't know if, if that's something we're going to see happen. In Pennsylvania, I don't believe that it is, uh, you know, certainly law. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, uh, we'll, we'll get to some phone calls here in just a moment. 1-800-729-7532. We'd like to hear your stories if you've shopped around. You know, well, let's give a, a for an example. You mentioned labs, for example, mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, getting an MRI or, you know, something like that, uh, an imaging test. How would a, a, a consumer go about checking prices, comparing prices for procedures like that? Well, you could call around to different uh, service providers, um, but that really brings up another question that I haven't adequately feel like I've answered yet, though I have posed it to some healthcare providers uh, with a with a range of responses. The, the question being, do you want to be going outside of your uh, sort of established provider that you're used to for these services, and is that a good idea? Uh, for example, I know that um, if you have if you if you tend to go with one. Uh, uh, one service provider, healthcare provider, oftentimes you have a portal now because they're really moving towards patient first, uh, uh, patient centered health, where you, as the healthcare consumer, can access all of this information that you never would have had access to, or you would have legally had access to it, but not convenient access to it, you know, 10 years ago. So now I can go on and see all my lab results and everything, and it's just on a website that I have to log into, and it's super convenient. But the catch is, if you were to really start shopping around for services that were outside of that that uh, aegis of that company, I don't know if you'd necessarily be able to have that. So I feel like right now, um, the healthcare industry is is in a is in a fa- phase of sort of transitioning and trying to figure out what to do with this idea that consumers are really coming forward and, and saying you know uh, well we're, we're being told that we should be shopping around and you know now I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, go to the phone now. Bill is in Lancaster. Bill, you're on the air. Good morning, Scott. Hi, Bill. Uh, let me start out by saying the people that want you to shop around should get the ostrich award. About three years ago, I needed a small operation. I went to the doctor, and uh, we scheduled everything, and I asked how much it would cost. Well, we can only tell you how much the doctor, not the uh, clinic where you're going to go to get the operation. Well, why not? Oh, well, you have to contact them. Well, I could contact them, and they would tell me. There's no negotiation. Plus, that doctor only does the operation in that clinic because he is one of the owners of the clinic or participants, so he gets a kickback, I guess. How do you shop around in that? It's a great idea, but it ain't going to work. It's not like buying detergent or a hamburger or a car. Thank you very much for your call. You know, he lists some of the challenges that you do face if you want to shop around, exactly some of the challenges that you face. And I wonder if doctors are even equipped to be giving people price quotes or if they want to be spending that time. We know how busy doctors are, and and they're coming and going for appointments, and really every second that you're in that appointment seems to be used for something productive. So do they really, you know, do they are they equipped to be spending five, ten minutes talking prices with you, or are, do they have staff available who can do that uh, with any kind of authority and reliability? Because if they don't feel that they have the authority to give those prices, then they're not going to do it because they don't want to get in trouble if they're wrong. Well, but then, Brett, that goes back to how difficult this is. Who do you ask then? That's the question. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, as as Bill said, it is a great idea, and I think that when you're talking... Okay, we've used the analogy of going to the grocery store where you may be talking 30 cents difference for an item. In this case... You could be talking thousands, maybe tens of thousands of dollars for a different procedure. Yeah. And I think a lot of the healthcare companies are still, just at least in the survey responses that I put out to a number of them, uh, just asking them a few basic questions through email. It seems that there's a little hesitancy still to, to suggest that that someone should leave their, their care for a full suite of services because... Uh, you know, you, you it would be sort of like uh, you know you, you don't want to be you don't want to be shopping for most getting most of your services done there and then going off somewhere else for something else and then maybe it doesn't link up with all the de- with the portal you know the doctor doesn't see it or maybe the quality of care is different um, so it's it's a little bit tricky. Mm. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. 
Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health Spine Institute, part of UPMC Pinnacle, offering a complete range of services to diagnose and treat your spine condition. More information is available at upmcpinnacle.com spine. Welcome back to Smart Talk. Our guest during this portion of the program is Brett Schultes, WITS Transforming Health reporter. We're talking about shopping around for health care prices and really how difficult it is. Wanting to hear some stories. If you do have a story, maybe you've tried to shop around, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. Leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page. On Twitter, we are at SmartTalkWITF. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. Let's go to York. Hello, is this uh, uh, Carolina? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, good morning. Uh, I think the, the biggest challenge that I've faced so far, it's really hard to find uh, a place that, like the other said, that will give you the whole the whole list of prices for everybody involved. Because they I, I hate to do this, but I think we have a really bad connection there. But I think what the, uh, the gist of, uh, of of her comment was that it was very difficult to compare prices, just as Bill had said, uh, compare prices for services, because uh, not everyone knows what the other I- is going to charge. But, Brett, it does bring up a point, and one that uh, you did address with Amy Wallover from Bucknell University, and that is uh, doctors. You know, the way that traditionally our health care delivery system has worked is that a patient, a consumer goes to a doctor, a family physician that they've had for years, and the doctor says, okay, here's what you need, and here's where you need to go for it. We never ask any questions. Right. Now we're being encouraged to ask questions about cost. And as you said, a lot of doctors aren't prepared or don't don't know how to answer those questions. So let's uh, listen to what uh, what uh, Amy Wolver of uh, Bucknell had to say about this. We have a doctor that we go to, right? We have a usual source of care. And so once you have that established, it's a little bit harder to sort of think about, oh, maybe I should switch doctors because maybe I can get, you know, a better price at another situation. Now, she's talking specifically about switching doctors, but it does raise the whole price. Switching doctors, that would be a big move. But uh, even questioning what the doctor tells you, someone that you've put your trust in for years and... I don't know, almost feels disloyal, if you will. And a doctor may even take it that way that, hey, uh, are you uh, are you telling me to go somewhere where maybe I, I, I'm paying a little bit more? You know what I mean? It's really interesting. And I think it speaks to a shift in ways that people are looking at healthcare services, or at least in the ways that some are encouraging them to look at healthcare services. Even the way we sort of stumble around language whenever we talk about this, where you're saying patient and then we're saying healthcare right. consumer, right. and you say treatment and then you say service. And on one hand, you certainly can see the logic of uh, these, this being. It, indeed, it is a product or a service which you pay for. But uh, on another hand, it's, it's a lot different than shopping for another product whenever it's your chemotherapy treatment. And uh, I just don't know if if I've met very many people yet who feel comfortable with going against their uh, doctor's uh, recommendation or feeling that they are empowered enough to, you know, to maybe do that or maybe question what they're saying. You know, something that uh, I've heard many people, and I've actually experienced this myself, where the doctor has made a recommendation, turns out it's outside the network for mm. my insurance that ends up costing a whole lot more. And, you know, to say, hey, I didn't know you were outside the network isn't looked upon as a legitimate excuse. Yeah. It seems like right now something, there's a little bit of a disconnect that will have to resolve itself one way or another. Either either this is the way that more and more people are going to be uh, going, i.e. shopping for services, and then they're going to need uh, more transparency so that they can do it with any kind of reasonable success, 
uh, or or maybe this isn't working as well as uh, some had hoped it would in terms of actually. And the other, you know, the other real premise in there is 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 it driving down costs? Right, uh, that's a big question. Uh, that, you know, that's that's kind of the idea behind it. You know, you put you put your money in the game, and you're going to be a smarter shopper, and you're going to drive down costs. Uh, and just not not to go on too long with it, but just one more point to note there as well: you have to have money to put in, <laughs> and a health savings account is a pretty amazing financial tool. It's not taxed when the money goes in. It's not taxed while it's in there. And, uh, you know, when you withdraw it, it's it's pulled out tax-free as well. But the people who are going to have, you know, for some people throwing 50 bucks, 100 bucks a paycheck in and getting it up to its max every year is not going to be a big deal. But you know, many times it's the people who uh, who have the, have the least money who are also that's going to be that's going to be a choice they might have to make of oh I'm just not going to put my money in my health savings account or as much in. Let's take a call from Laura Lee in Carlisle. Laura Lee, you're on the air. Hello, Laura Lee. Mm. Hello, are you there? All right, I don't think she is. Let's uh, go to uh, let's see. Corey in Lancaster. Uh, Corey's not there either. <laughs> See, this is what we're getting a lot of phone calls. Right, we only have a few up. more. So while we <laughs> while we're waiting to get the phone calls on the air, um, so what would you recommend? I mean, I'm not looking for you to give advice, but for those who listening to this and say, you know, this is something I would like to do. Yeah. What is in place right now that they could? I can't give a recommendation for what to do, but what I do hope people do is uh, reach out to me with your experiences. You know, I've, I'm new here. I've been here about two weeks, uh, and I really hope to connect with people in the region with their stories of their experiences, trying to not only just shop around for health care, but just their experiences in general, uh, struggling with uh, a condition, overcoming it, um, their issues with uh, that they face in getting, you know, being able to pay for it as well. So... I really just encourage people to to feel welcome to reach out. Um, you can email me very easily at brett underscore schultes at WITF, and I will read those emails. So I don't really have any recommendations for people, but I, I hope to uh, learn enough that you know I can come back here and, and say something a little more authoritative about it. Well, I, I you know just from a personal point of view, I think it's a great topic, and I can tell by uh, the response that we're getting on the telephone here that uh, there are a lot of people interested in it and probably want to know how they can go about. Uh, shopping but I, I think what it also goes to show is uh, you know we've been we've had this transforming health project now for the last uh, three years or so yeah and you know you talked about a patient-centered uh, you know this is yeah. how we're, we're doing it now that the people coming together not just your family doctor but uh, other doctors as well therapist everyone you know having access to your records and being able to compare and uh, communicate but on this issue, it seems as though we're way behind in rather than some other issues. So it is something that uh, I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in and would like to find out as to how about how do we do this? And as you mentioned, the ultimate goal was to drive down prices. And so far, that hasn't happened. Just, you know, and, you know, I know I'm getting off on a tangent here, Brett, but <laughs> you and I were talking about this the other day. You know, one of the reasons, you know, one of the questions that, that we always have about healthcare is why there's such a disparity in cost. Like an MRI, for example, why it can cost, um, you know, $5,000 one place, but 10000 somewhere else. And okay, maybe MRI is not a good example, but a procedure that, uh, you know, there's that wide of disparity. Yeah. Uh, Time Magazine did uh, a really good study a few years ago where it pointed out that uh, one of the reasons that there's such a disparity is that Medicare, most healthcare professionals get a certain amount of money from Medicare for their Medicare patients or older patients, and it's a fraction of what they normally would get from the insurance company. So as a result, the, they make up what they don't get from Medicare uh, by charging people who have insurance, and that's one of the reasons there's such a disparity in price. And another reason, this comes back to our uh, original uh, you know, focus of discussion, is another good reason to shop for health care because there is that disparity in cost. Well, yes, that's right. And and there is, uh, I'd be hard-pressed to point to any other quote-unquote service or product for which I'd pay uh, after getting the service 
uh, completed. Uh, you know, but yet that is the norm when it comes to when it comes to healthcare. We we go in and and we get uh, we get what we need done because we're concerned about our health and and we. Uh, so we're taking steps to remedy that, and then later we deal with you know we deal with the pricing. So that's that's something that this type of shopping around concept seems to want to change. Uh, but right now, as you said, the the difference between a lot of the talk and the and the ideals on it and the actual implementation of it are are very very different right now, mm. and it's very far behind. Well, Brett, welcome aboard, and uh, we'll I'm sure we'll have you on uh, the program many times uh, in the future. And uh, this is one that uh, I, I, you know, give you, uh, I encourage our listeners that what you just said about sending you information about this, because we, we obviously have a lot of stories here of people who have had experiences with it and would like to uh, yeah. uh, talk a little bit more and find out about how in the shop. Brett Schultz, WYTS Transforming Health reporter. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Transforming Health is a uh, project of uh, WITF, Penn State Health and Wellspan Health. If you haven't been to the Transforming Health uh, website uh, or webpage on WITF.org, I encourage you to go because you can read Brett's stories and uh, we've had three or four years worth of stories about healthcare there so you can learn about the changing tide of healthcare at TransformingHealth.org but uh, go to WITF.org if you'd like to learn more. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. The 2017 Harrisburg Book Festival at Midtown Scholar Bookstore in Harrisburg begins next Thursday and runs through Sunday. The festival will feature poetry book readings and an array of local, national, and international authors. Joining us to discuss the festival are Catherine Lawrence, co-owner of the Midtown Scholar Bookstore, and Alex Brubaker, who is the festival's director. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having us, Scott. Great to be here, Scott. If you have a question or a comment, want to talk about books, give us a call, 1-800-729-75. Or send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. And I should mention that WITF is one of the media sponsors of the Harrisburg Book Festival. All right. First of all, kudos, because just looking at the lineup and everything that you have planned for next week, I mean, this is a, a fantastic event for anyone who loves books or just wants to hear some interesting conversation. Catherine, you had mentioned to me that... Uh, this is not the first, right? but it is the biggest. Yes, it's our fifth Harrisburg Book Festival that we have sponsored and hosted, and it is um, yet um, a greater in scale and interest and outreach to the broad central Pennsylvania community compared to any that we've had in the past. And we've had a hiatus of a few years, so we brought it back again to be an annual event starting this year. Well, why did you want to do it? Well, it is wonderful to bring people into conversation in our bookstore. And we have local community and civic discussions and literary discussions all the time. But actually, we were inspired by having Alex join us. And he is our new... Alex is an inspiration. Yeah, he's our new bookstore manager. And he comes to us from the Twin Cities, where he worked with the Twin Cities Book Festival. And he brought to us also a great knowledge of new books and new authors. So if you haven't been to our store in a while, it has actually changed in its character quite dramatically. Instead of a dozen or so new books, we have dozens of tables of new and used books now. And we're bringing in authors all the time. Um, Every week, one or two major national authors as they are now putting Harrisburg on the stop for their book tours. So the festival is is an extra big celebration of our favorite authors with books that have just come out really this year in the past 2017 sort of highlights of the year. Now, it had been a few months since I had been in the store, and just a few weeks ago, right. I introduced, or excuse me, interviewed uh, Joe Tone. Right. Who had, he became uh, part of that conversation. Yeah, it's wonderful. Had, and had interviewed him on the air about uh, his book that was about the uh, Mexican drug cartel uh, and racehorses and how they were laundering money. Uh, you know, excellent book, interesting, fascinating, but I had an opportunity to sit down mm-hmm. uh, at the bookstore and talk to him. But I have to admit that just what you described, mm-hmm. I looked around and said, oh, this looks much different. So, Alex, talk about that. Why, before we even get into the festival, why that's important to be able to bring authors in and have those kind of discussions? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the community of readers and writers in central Pennsylvania is really strong. And before, 
if you wanted to go to a big author event with a, a critically acclaimed national touring author, you'd have to go to Baltimore or Philly or Pittsburgh or New York if you wanted to catch them. But um, I think it's really important for our readers to be able to engage and have those intellectual conversations with these big-name authors uh, right in their back door in, in Harrisburg. So that's why um, with the festival, that's that's our goal in bringing uh, authors like Ibram X. Kendi and uh, Jennifer Haig and Ruth Franklin – uh, these critically acclaimed authors that are winning these awards um, so our readers can engage with them um, in our community. Well, let's talk about that. How did you choose? You just listed some of the authors. Talk about some of their books, and uh, how did you choose these authors to bring in? Um, yeah, so our keynote address is by Ibram X. Kendi. He is uh, the director of the Anti-Racist Research and Policy Center at American University, and he's a National Book Award winner for nonfiction for his book, Stamped from the Beginning, uh, the definitive history of racist ideas in America, and so basically, I mean, considering our political and uh, racial climate, I think there's no better person to uh, come to the festival. Be, yeah. yeah, it's as timely as can be. So uh, we really wanted to amplify his voice and bring him into Harrisburg um, to showcase him. So it's really, you know, considering our audience and considering the pedigree of the authors that we want to have come in. Um, I think it's a really good balance. A couple things that, uh, you know, just an observation, and Catherine, we've talked many times on the air about it, but uh, Midtown Scholar Bookstore, and you do it even here with the book festival, is uh, even though you are bringing in people who are nationally and internationally known and acclaimed, uh, you also put a real emphasis on local authors. What about uh, the festival? And I think, too, it's um, it's part of – it's sort of a localized conversation. So, for instance, I'm really excited about the keynote address that Kendi is giving on Friday night. It will be a ticketed event, although we've had both free tickets and you can get a free ticket if you buy his book. And the folks who are coming to that will be this fascinating combination of local political activists and um, and – community members as well as academics and teachers and students so that I think I really think his experience speaking to us in the bookstore in this place will have 300 people that's a cross-section of our central Pennsylvania community all of them coming with different interests that they want to hear. And then there'll be a Q&A section that we really pride ourselves in having, as you've been a part of at the bookstore, to the community, the questions that readers bring to the authors, change up what the authors have to say to us, so that even we had Simon Rushdie come just last week with great excitement. And the questions from the audience brought out stories from him that he doesn't give at other stops on his book tour. They're really inspired by the questions from our audience and community members at the bookstore. Well, that was my other observation, mm -hmm. is that the audience participation... Right. Uh, you know, I, and I, I don't think this is any real surprise that uh, people who frequent bookstores mm -hmm. and read on a regular basis are a little more in tune with what's going on in the world and have really thoughtful questions. And that's right. always been my observations when I've participated in events at the bookstore is that the audience always has great questions. I feel the same way about the audience here on Smart Talk. Right. Is that uh, you know there are, there are times they can talk about their experiences or they have questions that I wouldn't have thought of. And I think you have the same thing with, uh, with, with the audience that participates. So we talked about the, the local, yes. bringing some of the local local authors in. What are some of the other events, uh, Alex, though, that are going? I mean, this is jam packed. And by the way, you can see the schedule. We'll, we'll put a uh, we'll, we'll put an, a link on our website to uh, Midtown Scholar Bookstore, or you could go to the, the bookstore's uh, website as well. But we'll put a link on our website, witf.org. What are some of the other events? Yeah, um, another event I'd like to highlight is the opening night poetry kickoff, which is really exciting. We're bringing in uh, a local musical artist, uh, Shawan Rice from Harrisburg, who is just a really great talent. She's been compared to uh, Billie Holiday, um, Amy Winehouse, artists like that. So, um, But we have three uh, great poets coming in. They're all young, kind of on the cutting edge. Two of them were born and raised in Jamaica, and that's Sophia Sinclair and Shara McCallum, who is now a professor at Penn State. And we also have Joshua Bennett, who was born and raised in New York City and is a phenomenal spoken word poet. So, See, poetry's not like it used to be either. I mean, when we were growing up and going to school and, uh, you know, we had to either write poetry or read poetry, it's not the same today, is it? 
No, no, it's definitely not. I mean, these these poets are diverse. They're writing on the on the the cutting edge of of marginalization and identity and language. So they're they're really good poets that we're really proud to bring in. Catherine, I've mentioned to you when we've had you on uh, for our holiday book right. giving or uh, beach reading that uh, that is one of the requests that we have from listeners all the time is more poetry, more poetry right. books. Right. And we've always had, you know, even at our small earlier book festivals, we've always had a panel discussion devoted to poetry or a, a piece of the conversation. But here we're devoting all of Thursday night to poetry and spoken word and our uh, special musician. And we're, again, connecting to the community in new ways. So the event is being co-sponsored by the Almost Uptown Poetry Cartel in Harrisburg, as well as the Triangle, based in Lancaster. And um, and an array of different poetry groups in the local area that are coming out to converse and might normally have open mic nights of their own, but here they're helping to host these great national and international authors. Mm -hmm. So Alex talked about poetry. What else? Uh, we have a really unique on unique event on Saturday with a. A letterpress designer from Lancaster who's coming in from 11 to 5, and she's going to be doing a print-your-own uh, free bookmark for the day. So she's bringing in a mobile letterpress, and so you can go up to her and uh, print your own free bookmark. So that's kind of exciting bookish side event that we're going to have. I've, you know, I've said this many times, Catherine, how I like bookmarks. <laughs> <laughs> Unique bookmarks. Yeah. And, and that, that's that's a cool idea. Yeah. No more gum wrappers or scraps know, of paper. It's a real bookmark. Business cards. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so that's another event we're excited for. We also have a really great Kids Fest going on in the morning with uh, our local, one of our favorite local illustrators, Lauren Castillo, who has uh, this new book coming out. It actually isn't published for two weeks after the festival, but we're getting an early special book launch for it. So it's only going to be available for purchase on that Saturday. But um, it's the story of E.B. White, a boy, a mouse, and a spider. So we're really excited about uh, celebrating this local children's illustrator. And, you know, that is that is a, a significant part of this, too, is having children involved and getting them to love books the way a lot of adults do, too, right? Right. Yes, absolutely. It's a, it's going to be a, a hands-on kids' festival with story times, and we're having the folks from Gamut Theater, the Popcorn Hat Players, having an interactive production of Aesop's Fables, and then we've got folks from the Central Pennsylvania Literacy Council and American Literacy Corporation, so there'll be free book giveaways for kids who come out Saturday as well. Okay, you mentioned literacy, and the word literature comes up too. Yes. That is a big part of what you're trying to do with this, isn't it? Yes, and if you talk about ways in which we're connecting to the local community, our bookstores always had writers, workshops, and craft as part of a festival conversation, but this year, we've we stepped it up a notch, and Alex, tell us about Joe Fessler and, and the writing workshops of Saturday. Yeah, Joe Fassler, he's coming in on Saturday, and he has this really awesome collection where he's he's collecting uh, some inspiration and, and, and thoughts on creative process from some of the top writers working today, Roxane Gay, Neil Gaiman, Stephen King, authors like this. So he collected them in an essay collection, and he's going to be in conversation with another author, and they're just all going to be talking about uh, creative inspiration, the writing process, which I think will really resonate with the readers and writers of Central Pennsylvania. And he's a writer for The Atlantic. Um, so there's actually a recent article on The Atlantic just going into detail about all the authors he's interviewed over the years um, in his writing. So it's a really exciting event. Mm. I want to take a step back for just a moment, and I hope you don't mind me jumping around. You mentioned Salman Rushdie. Yes. Um, and you were uh, kind enough to put me in touch with uh, his people that we were able to have him on the air. And that was an event that was very popular. I know it sold out. The tickets sold out uh, in, like, no time at all. Yes. Uh, but it, it, from what I understand, you know, this is an internationally uh, renowned uh, and critically acclaimed author, one of the, the best that we have uh, in the world today. And, but from what I understand, he was very impressed with uh, the event last week. Yes, right. His uh, his agent reported that it was the best author event that she'd attended along with him. It was We were really, we were honored by his visit and really pleased at how smoothly the program went. It was a sold out crowd and yet um, everyone got to participate. Anyone who wanted to meet him in the signing line afterwards was able to do so. And it was really 
it was the bookstore at its finest because really you have the author and the community coming together in conversation. We were really excited by that. And I expect the same thing to happen on the Friday keynote address that Ibram Kendi has. We'll again have a sold out crowd. So come by and come ask your questions. <laughs> so, Alex, uh, the, the logistics starting next Thursday? Uh, next Thursday, well, all events are free and open to the public except the Friday night keystone or uh, keynote address with uh, Ibram X. Kendi. So, all events just kind of show up and, uh, and yeah, you can enter. It's uh, 7 p.m. starting time on Thursday. And then everything else is up on our schedule. And, uh, again, you can find the schedule on uh, Midtown Scholar Bookstore's uh, website. And uh, we'll have a link uh, to their website on uh, WITF.org. Catherine Lawrence, Alex Brubaker, thank you very much for being with us. And good luck next week. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. Okay, we were just talking about uh, a big event here in central Pennsylvania at the Midtown Scholar Bookstore. And uh, the the fifth... uh, Harrisburg Book Festival and has the sound of becoming an annual event. A big annual event uh, here in central Pennsylvania for the longest time. It's become known as the Antique Card Show in Hershey. The Antique Automobile Club of America's 2017 Eastern Fall Meet is running through Saturday at the Giant Center in Hershey. Thousands of cars spanning more than 100 years on display as well as a flea market featuring parts and memorabilia vendors. Joining us to discuss the auto meet is Steve Moskowitz, executive director of the Antique Automobile Club of America. Mr. Moskowitz, thank you for joining us on the program. Uh, It's my pleasure. Great talking to you. All right. So you're probably out on the scene right now, aren't you? I am. I am out looking at a scene of a mass of humanity, all sorts of automotive memorabilia and parts and, and seeing people from all sorts of countries and all around the world. And it's a you know, for guys like me, it's a sight to behold. This is our, we call this our high holy days of the year for uh, the antique car hobby. Mm. Well, well, you know, so many uh, central Pennsylvanians have visited the, the antique car show in Hershey. And I hope you don't mind me calling it the antique car show in Hershey, is, which... Uh, every, even our own club, our official <laughs> title is the Eastern Division Fall Meet, but... Everybody calls it Hershey. Yeah, <laughs> I say that because uh, you know, from the very first time I moved to Central Pennsylvania, I heard about the antique car show in Hershey, and that's how most people, most local people, refer to it. But why is it? It's such a, you know, why is it such a significant event? Well, um, because first of all, it's the oldest event of its kind, and it's really um, and, and the largest, uh, and because of the fact that it's gone on well over a half a century. Uh, it's developed a, a cult following, a mystique. Um, we usually have people from 31 or so different countries uh, around the world and countries that you would be kind of surprised about uh, that show up for this uh, every year. And it's I can tell you the number of people that come up to me and tell me this is my 47th year, this is my 52nd year. Uh, my mother was pregnant and walking around the flea market uh, with me, uh, so I've been here longer than anybody else. And you know, it's uh, it, by the breadth of how big it is. If you wait to this one time a year, um, virtually whatever you need can be found here in in Hershey. So, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I find most fascinating is the span of the age of the cars. What's the oldest that you have uh, intact there at Hershey this year? Uh, I believe I saw an 1899 locomobile. Um, uh, We generally get them uh, in that neighborhood, uh, uh, the very late 1800s, and and then, of course, all the way on up. So uh, you, you get to see everything from the very origination of the car industry all the way up to, uh, you know, modern muscle cars and cars that we all recognize and, and know. The horseless carriage. I wonder if it was referred to as a horseless carriage in 1899. Actually, you, you kind of surprised me because I, I thought you were going to say, uh, you know, one of the very early Ford Model uh, Model A's or, or, you know, something like that. But it goes back even further, huh? Oh, oh, absolutely. I, I, the general public always seems to think that the hobby was started with the Model T, and, and that's uh, far from the truth. Uh, in, in 1895, 
uh, in this country, Duryea was uh, actually selling automobiles, and and uh, Olds Motor Works was producing them in volume in the early 1900s. So uh, the the industry, you know, was was born out of a lot of carriage makers who turned their carriages, add a motor to it, and and there you go. You got a got a horseless carriage. What is considered antique today? I mean, from time to time, I'll see something from uh, the 1970s that has an antique uh, license plate on it, and I'm like, wow. I was uh, in my teens during the 1970s. I didn't think I was an antique. Yeah, well, guess what? <laughs> we're, 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 all, we're all become antiques. Uh, I used to work for Oldsmobile Division, and I was an Olds dealer, and, and uh, cars that I drove as company cars and sold in my dealership are now antiques. The, the word antique, the word classic, uh, are, are words that nobody has – a, a perfect definition everybody uses it in different ways and so there is no one correct way of doing it when the club was formed um we became sort of the voice of the hobby in the beginning we're the first club in the country and we eventually came up with a rule that anything 25 years or older was welcome in our club so a lot of the states around the country adopted that rule particularly for their license plates that they offer um antique plates for anything that's 25 years or older so you get to see uh you get to see some fairly modern cars now that that have those plates on um but 20 years from now those will maybe look pretty old to the people today so uh, and just out of curiosity your uh, personal point of view has there been a car that you've looked at and had to do a double take saying, uh, thinking to yourself, oh, that's right, that car is 25 years old? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like what? Oh, yeah. We, we had a Dodge Caravan uh, a year ago on our field, and, and I go, oh, my. Uh, but, you know. A Dodge Caravan? Yeah. A you, minivan? Gotta, you know, there, there's a, you know, next year I think a Prius will be available <laughs> to the so, you know, things change. I talk to a lot of old-timers in the hobby, and they tell me, well, you know, their 1940 car was not a, not allowed onto certain show fields back in the day because it was too new. And, you know, today those are certainly well accepted. So, you know, you got to realize that uh, people have to start in the hobby somewhere, and if they're saving a vehicle and they're, they're in love with it and they have a passion for it, that uh, – Somewhere down the road when we're having cars that don't drive or flying around up in the sky like the Jetsons, that uh, that uh, Prius and Caravan will be considered antiques for, to a lot of people. So, Steve, what attracts people to the hobby? Uh, well, there's some of them like me that were born with a mutant gene that uh, just automatically transferred the love of cars Uh a lot of people, it starts with just being exposed, getting a ride in an old car, seeing in an old car. Uh, your father had cars. Um, it, it runs the gamut. It's a very diverse part of the hobby. Um, it, people enjoy it because the colors, the sounds. Uh, you know, I'm sure people love stamp collecting and coin collecting, but, you know, these are vehicles you can get in and drive, go down the road, wave at people. They wave back. Everybody has a smile when you're you see some antique car around it's a it's a glorious hobby with just all all kinds of color variations in it as to uh why people why people love that and of course the standard answer we we sometimes give if you had to ask the question you wouldn't understand the answer but that's a that's kind of a smart alecky remark but uh we're we're all we're all infected with uh you know, you see the size of this crowd here, and you realize how how much love these people have for what we do. And these, the people who visit the car show, are not just what you would call car people. People who that this is a major part. Of, I mean, you have people who are into history, or you know, something you just described. And I've observed this myself in my own family. Is that like people have certain songs that remind them of a time in their life. It's the same mm-hmm. way, way with cars. I Absolutely. remember my, my father many, many times saying, oh, 34 Plymouth, my uh, dad had one of those. Or, you know, something even older. My grandfather used to drive us, to, you know, somewhere on Sundays on that, that it was a big part of their lives. And it seems mm-hmm. as though that's the case with cars. Oh, yeah. I, I, 
you know, there, there's quite a few generations. I'm not sure if the future generations will look upon this the same way we do. But I think a lot of us that are got a little bit of gray in our, our tops uh, kind of long for the, the days we grew up in, which were not full of all the all the things that we hear in the newspapers and see and all the tragedies and, you know, all the, all the tough stuff. Uh, I, I thought my childhood in a little small town, Massachusetts was pretty much like father knows best the uh, show of the time. I mean, it just, uh, it was idyllic and, and the people and the lack of pressure every day, uh, and waiting every year for the new cars to come out. Um, you know, when I see this stuff now, it just it it takes me back and a lot of other people back to a a simpler and and, and in some ways a, a better time. So, what was your favorite car growing up? Well, I was kind of a Chevy guy uh, all my life, and uh, um, was playing around with cars. And but I, I looked at everything, and uh, uh, when I got out of college, uh, Oldsmobile Division hired me. It's uh, it was in one division I wanted to go to work for because at the time I felt it was the best car in the market. And, uh, and that was it, uh, from, from that day in, in 1971, um, my, uh, pretty much my whole life has been devoted to, to Oldsmobile. Mm. See my first car and I've been searching for a model since, uh, a 70 Plymouth Duster and it was hot. Mm-hmm. It was hot. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> Three eighteen engine, and uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, had some uh, had some power to it. Actually, got good gas mileage. I have to think about that as an adult nowadays. But uh, <laughs> but you know, those are the kind of things that uh, that you do remember. So, talk a little bit about the show. Um, you know, how people can attend, when, sure. and different events. Sure, sure. Um, the show's been going on since Wednesday, and, and actually Tuesday is setup day, and it's very crowded on. Tuesday. Um, what we have here now is 9,000 flea market spaces that take up all of the Hershey Entertainment properties, including uh, uh, Hershey Park and the Giant Center. Uh, we take out every bit of real estate that they possibly have. So you've got uh, people selling signs and parts and in all sorts of uh, old-time memorabilia, gas station memorabilia, You'll see some odd things. Uh, there's one guy here that's got a huge treasure of uh, Hershey Foods uh, Corporation uh, items. And there's also about a 1,000 cars for sale in what we call the car corral. It wraps around the Giant Center, and those are individuals that uh, are, are selling cars. Um, tonight, uh, RM Auctions, RM Sotheby's Auction, will have their second night of a major sale where they'll have uh, – some cars that are even expected to go uh, to $3 million. Mm. Um, that's, have, uh, that's incredible, Steve. Hey, I'm almost out of time. Steve Moskowitz, Executive Director of the Antique Automobile Club of America. Thank you very much for being with us today, and good luck hey, this weekend. My pleasure. On Monday's show, we're going to talk about the state budget and a couple other topics. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a trusted resource in our communities. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, who is studying a new surgical technique that allows surgeons to make repairs to the heart without having to open the chest cavity and while the heart is beating. Info at upmcpinnacle.com.